0: My name's Pam Canty, and I'm a member of the Sardis Road Community Group. This morning's reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33, and then 46 through 55, and the version is from the New Living Translation. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, "'Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you.' Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. "'Don't be afraid, Mary,' the angel told her, "'for you have found favor with God. "'You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus.'" He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And then verse 46. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Coffee check, water check. I have to do this little countdown thing because I've been on a losing streak lately Um, meaning I've been losing stuff on a regular basis. I travel a lot for work, and I said to my wife this morning, I think I left my black jacket in the Uber, and um, that would be the third jacket that I've lost in the last three weeks. So it's just its sad. Um, True story. Um, We're getting here in, in this passage, and thank you so much, Pam, for reading this. When I was prepping for this sermon this week, All right, I was on this crazy road trip this past week, and it was immediately after the Thanksgiving holidays. I knew I was going to be preaching this particular Sunday, and last week I was traveling to four different cities, uh, staying in three different hotel rooms over those four days, flying on five different planes, driving two different rental cars, giving seven different presentations, and I thought... What I was experiencing was definitely way too much. And looking at my schedule, and even on the one day that I had back as a full day back, which was Friday, it was full. I had multiple meetings. I literally had four meetings in a row. And I went, so when is all this going to get done? I don't, I don't really know. But while I was away on my trip, my wife and I, we have this app and it's Life360 and I can see when she's picking up and dropping off kids, picking up and dropping off kids. And my phone is just blowing up on a regular basis because like that's her life, picking up, dropping off kids, picking up, dropping off kids. And I was like, okay, I think uh, when I'm thinking about things that are overwhelming, I should consider what she's dealing with, <laughs> right? <laughs> Amen, <laughs> Right? Um, I have no idea what it's like being a wife, taking care of four kids, having a full-time job, and juggling her own crazy calendar, as well as all of their calendars, basically living like a single parent while I'm gone. I have no idea what it means to be overwhelmed, and I know that she has probably asked herself a million times whenever I hit the road, so how am I going to do all this? And this kid has to be here, and this other kid has to be here at about the same time. Being overwhelmed. And I looked at this passage. uh, I think I started on one of my flights and starting to really dig into the passage. And then I realized I have no idea what it means to be overwhelmed, considering what Mary was just confronted with, right? So by all accounts, Mary was a teenage, soon-to-be mom, right? Not yet married to what many would deem to be a blue-collar husband. And then she was told that she would be the mother of none other than a son of God. And so she's probably asking herself, why is God showing me such kindness? In Mary's song, as was just read to us, she testifies to a God of the marginalized, to a God who is the mighty one, and to the God of our memories. Let's look at it together. Uh, matter of fact, let me take a step back because uh, some of you don't know what I do and I do educational training and um, Some of the work that I do is anti-racist, anti-bias training, and me just saying that, just know that certain states have literally banned the use of that terminology. Kid you not. So maybe if you've been hearing about book bans, also know that teachers have been um, limited to their exposure to professional development, that if on anything that I write as a proposal, if it utilizes words such as bias, discrimination, equity, social justice, even social emotional learning gets flagged as potentially CRT woke. We can't do that. Not in this state. Not a part of this professional development. So in some places I've been asked, can you just change the wording? We want what you want to bring, but can you just change the wording? It's kind of hard because... I also typically give away a copy of my book, which is titled Demarginalizing Design. So sometimes I've also been told, actually, can you not give away a copy of that book? But you still want me to speak. Okay. For many states and many school boards, that word, marginalized, it was used in our Sunday school. We were talking about it in Mary and her plight and considering that she was part of a marginalized community. That word alone can say, you can't present that here. So just for everyone, I want to uh, clarify some things. So what does it mean to be in the margins, societally? Marginalized populations are peoples or groups of people who are excluded from the mainstream social, economic, cultural, and or political life. They may also experience discrimination due to unequal power relationships. They're oftentimes considered oppressed, underrepresented, vulnerable populations. Am I being canceled yet, just for using those words? Some of you may also notice a trend in my sermons, I I tend to highlight these things, but I find it actually impossible to overlook them when it's right here, right? It's hard to overlook when scriptures are really, really plain about things such as this. And time and time again, we see passages such as today's that overtly proclaim God's concern for those facing persecution, discrimination, or injustice. Our Bibles might be the next book to be banned if we look at these terms as problematic. So whether it's the people of Israel being oppressed by tyrannical rulers, prophetic denunciations against those who punish the vulnerable, or Jesus' acts of mercy towards the outcast, a passion for justice rings loud and clear. We have a God that deserves praise because he looks down on the lowly and lifts them up. Don't take my word for it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his commentary on Mary's song says, the song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is also the most passionate, the wildest, and one may almost say that it is the most revolutionary Advent hymn that has ever been sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary as we often see her portrayed in paintings. I picked out this picture. The Mary who is speaking here is passionate, carried away, proud, enthusiastic. There is none of the sweet, wistful, or even playful tone of many of the Christmas carols, but instead a hard, strong, relentless hymn about the toppling of the thrones and the humiliation of the lords of this world, about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. Read it for yourself. It's right there. But let's just dissect part of Mary's words in the very beginning Verses 46 through 48, she says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Let's remember, Mary was a teenager. She was a woman. She was a Jew in ancient Roman, in in a land that was occupied by Rome. She's engaged to this non-noble, I mean, some may point out the particulars and say, well, he was of the lineage of David, but he was 14 generations removed. Literally, no one hardly knew that. It had to get spelled out to let it be known that he is part of the line of David. He was a craftsman. And she's from Nazareth. Like, this part is, like, one of those things that if you overlook, we oftentimes look at it and see, like, when um, in John one forty six, when it said, you know, can anything come from Nazareth, we look at it from the perspective of, can anything come from Nazareth, because we don't see anything in the scriptures that say something is going to come good from Nazareth. But also, if you check the tone a little bit it's like can anything come from good from Nazareth it's kind of like all right you're going to go up I-85 and we're not talking Charlotte we're not talking Concord we're not even talking about familiar places such as Kannapolis or Salisbury we're talking exit 63 we're talking Landis North Carolina stop laughing. My wife is from Landis, and my daughter's name is Landis. Uh, but this is like what it is. It's like this is, this is a small little suburb of another town, of another place, of a... Can anything good come from there? Yes. There's also another hint of her lowly estate. In Luke 2, 7, it said that there was no place for them in the inn, and oftentimes we consider See, there was no rooms, and sure, that might be true, but don't you think that if they were of higher estate, somebody would have made room? See, there was no room for them. It's one thing to face discrimination for being a part of a minority group. It's another burden to face discrimination purely for being a woman but we rarely acknowledge and grapple with the compounded discrimination endured by minority women at the intersection of gender and race and ethnic oppression. For them, the twin forces of sexism and racism converge to create layers of marginalization that often go unrecognized. Mary's praise emanates from the soul of one whose social location likely rendered her invisible and powerless to the ruling empire of her day. She was a relatively poor, unmarried, pregnant woman, citizen of an occupied nation. This is what Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw refers to as intersectionality, meaning all of these different factors meet at the intersection. And just like in Charlotte, where it drives me crazy, my kids know this about me, like any time we come to an intersection, I'm like, do you not know your right-of-way laws? No one knows the right-of-way laws in Charlotte. You get one car comes up, another car comes up, and then this car comes up, and I'm sitting here because this car came first, and then they start blinking their blinkers, and I'm like, no, you're supposed to go first. Okay, anyway. At this intersection of Mary's life, you have ageism, sexism, classism, and colonialism all about to collide. And consider all of the other factors against her socially. Her song of praise, when you kind of think about it, her life could have been a dirge, right? It should have been a song of lament, a cry of remorse. Her song that we just sang could have went something like, Oh Lord, my soul wonders, where are you? My spirit longs for God, my Savior, to even notice me. He's made promises of old, but where is he? But That's not what she said. Instead, she breaks out into praise because despite her hardship and status up to this point, God decides to bless her with the blessing of all blessings. He's blessed a poor, young, virgin, Israeli girl and did the miraculous by having her a child. The holy of holies would make her womb his hiding place, that symbolically her lowly position would parallel the position of an entire nation. This small, non-influential, non-powerful nation would be called blessed because God would choose to introduce the savior of the world through him, through her. She heard what the angel told her and she declared what was true about a mighty God who took the side of the oppressed and she confessed his goodness and that she was blessed. It's important to see where Mary directed her praise. She said that generations would call her blessed. Not the holy one, not the mighty one, not the immaculate one, not the worthy one, but one that would be called blessed by God. She was finite and sinful like the rest of us. The fact is, she would need that same saving blood that he would shed to atone for her own sins. Though he would be born from her, like the rest of humanity, she would need to be reborn through him. This lowly servant girl, this one who was made, uh, this one who was in need of mercy, this one who was hungry, she would be counted among the many that called upon Jesus as her savior, the Messiah, the Christ. Here's your takeaway. Don't let society's eyes give you worth. See you how God sees you. Moving into her song, The God of Might, you see in verses 49 through 53, she declares, for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. When God meets us in our circumstances, it should cause us to praise. It should. See, in verse 49, Mary calls him the mighty one, and then she says, for he has done... Mighty, actually the same words there, things for me. This is the part in the sermon, y'all, where I should kind of just slow it down a little bit, maybe give a humorous story, create an antidote that would just calm everybody, and uh, give you a brain break if that's what you need. Allow you to make a connection to an interesting story, and remember that all of Scripture is relevant, relatable, communicable, communicable and contextual, but instead I think it's actually important that we follow Mary's lead here. Consider where God has shown up in the most magnificent ways for you lately. As a matter of fact, I would invite you, if you feel safe to do so in this environment, to close your eyes and to really do that right now. See, when God showed up to Moses and shared his glory, he declared the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in kindness and truth. And so the question is, if you have your eyes closed or not, where have you seen the Lord as compassionate? Where have you seen him? as gracious? Where have you seen him in your life as slow to anger? Where have you seen him as kind or truthful? And you can keep your eyes closed if that's what you choose to do. The question is, is in what ways has God rescued you? Literally or figuratively, physically, or emotionally, spiritually, where has God spared you? How has he filled you? It's in, the recollection, it's in this recollection of his goodness. His mercy is the his mercy in withholding what you deserve, his grace in giving you more than you deserve that should cause you to worship can open your eyes and just consider God's goodness. It's somewhat of an aside, but it's still in line. I consider many of the parallels in Scripture where God's presence and circumstances cause women and men to not only call out to his name, but call him by a name that was formerly unfamiliar. So as we walk through Scriptures and we see him in Genesis, and he is God, Elohim, he's God. And in Exodus, when he appears to Moses and he reveals himself, and Moses says, who should I say who sent me? And he says, I am that I am, also translated as Yahweh or Jehovah. So these are the names that God has revealed himself to us, but then he continues to reveal himself through our circumstances. You see it in various places. So just to do this in quick overview fashion, in Genesis 16, verse 13, Hagar, who was outcast by Sarah and who was weeping, wondering, is God going to hear or see her? And God showed up and listened to her, and she named him the God who sees. In Exodus 15, verse 26, after promising healing from disease, God reveals himself as Rapha, or the Lord who heals. In Genesis 22, verse 14, Abraham called, Je- called God Jehovah Jireh or the God who will provide after he provided a ram to sacrifice instead of his son. In Judges 6:24, Gideon called God Jehovah Shalom or the Lord is peace after being assured of peace by the angel. Exodus 17, verse 15 Moses called the altar. And do you all remember this story? Okay, I I feel like i got to retell this story. Okay, so the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites, and God said that this is what should happen. But then every time he looked over, the, the Amalekites are overtaking the Israelites. They're not winning. And so he holds up the staff, the same staff that God told him to wield earlier. And as he holds up the staff, he starts noticing, oh, we're winning. Okay, he's holding it as a banner. We're winning. We're winning. And then he starts to get tired. We're losing. We're losing. And so you got her on one side and you got Aaron on another side who starts to lift up the staff and hold it on both sides. And as long as it's held up, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, wins. When God shows up, we see him as he's always been, and we cannot contain our praise. Mary knew him to be mighty because he revealed himself as such, historically and presently. Take away. Don't forget to see God in your circumstances, y'all. Give him glory for the ways he has specifically shown himself to you. Do this often testify. Final point. The God of memories. Verses 54 through 55, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made the promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. So Mary concludes her hymn by calling on God's faithfulness shown throughout all the ages, right? the promise he made to Abraham, the same Abraham who was 100 years old and his wife was 90 when God promised them a nation. This was the same God who promised Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, what we are again in Sunday school this, just this morning looking at. She was promised a child in her old age. Her son, as we know, is John, the one who would make the way for Jesus. So if you were in a digital Bible, or if you're looking in paper, you know, whatever it is, scroll up, look at verse 7, you read, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. And in verses 24 and 25, it says, Elizabeth became pregnant. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. And she declares, How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. See more isms at play, right? Ageism, ableism, classism. But also what we see is a great connection to Abraham and Sarah, two that were considered too old, but God fulfilled his promises anyhow. Remember, God always remembers. To any individual here that feels like God has forgotten your circumstances, for fathers and mothers who feel like God's covenantal promises are far off from your children, maybe we need to be reminded of our own testimonies. At some point, I know for me, Big Mama and your mama, not only worried but prostrated themselves for hours on your behalf. While you were wiling, they were petitioning. Though you were raised in the church, learned of the mysteries of the gospel, you tested the boundaries of his grace. Some of y'all know. I know, I know. Some of us for even a season walked away from the Lord entirely. But God remembered and reminded you of the training and the admonition you were raised in. And you were called... That through the perfect sacrifice of a child born of a virgin, you have a father who calls you his own and calls you home. Further, did you notice that Mary seems to be quoting or alluding to scripture throughout this entire song? I did some cross-referencing. I was like, is she quoting here? Or is this her word? And, okay, just... If you wouldn't mind, like glance both at your Bible, at her song, and look at Psalm 113, verse 7. It says, he lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. Psalm 63, excuse me, 66, verse 3, your mighty deeds, O God, who is like you? Chapter 68, verse 35, God, the Lord, you are awesome. Who is as great as you, O God? Psalm 106, verse 2. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise him enough? Psalm 98, 3. He has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel. Psalm 105, 8. He has always stood by his covenant, the promise he made to a thousand generations. So I think here's our final takeaway from Mary and this example that she gave us and that's to memorize God's promises, literally. Memorize his promises of old to get you through the, day, the trials of today. Follow Mary's example, even if it's a few one-liners that you can piece together in your time of hardship, because that's what Mary did. Mary was left reeling in the wake of Gabriel's announcement, struggling to fully comprehend the enormity of the when, how, and why What was just disclosed? I think she grasped the when in only part. Somehow in the coming days of of her ordinary life, the extraordinary would occur through her. The perplexing, how, escaped full understanding. How could a virgin conceive life within her body by the spirit's supernatural power? And though unsure of every implication, the why overwhelmed her. God Almighty was wondrously faithful to his ancient covenant by making her the mother of the long-awaited promise. Enveloped in mystery beyond her ability to fully process, Mary nonetheless leaned into staggering, into this staggering new truth. By God's design, she would carry the Messiah and flooded with awe and wonder, worship, the only fitting response. Let it be ours as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Mary to sing, to reflect, to wonder on your goodness that is so beyond us, so undeserved. Specifically, Have us to wonder and worship that Jesus has come, and we have a Savior, and we have been brought into this family by your grace, and we have cause to worship. Help us to truly worship, in Jesus' name,
0: amen.